All right, Thomas, thanks so much for joining me, man. Really excited to have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. Could you kick us off by telling us a bit about your history? How did you end up, you know, VP of sales? Good question. You know, I was a finance degree in college and, and went into a finance role at a, a rather small investment bank. And really that role was a sales role. It's where I had my first exposure to, to cold calling. I was calling high net worth individuals at a, at a pretty small investment bank and really quickly learned that I didn't really like the investment banking industry. So I actually joined a company called Yodel as an inside sales rep there. And, you know, Yodel was a really interesting environment to be a part of. This was a SaaS online marketing company selling to small to medium-sized businesses, but they just had a crazy sales culture. It was very, very polished uh, in terms of how they drove performance and really helped you establish the entire framework of, of how an inside sales team or how sales teams in general should be run. And they really had it down to a science. This, you know, had sales labs, scripting, testing, extensive reporting, managerial training. It's all geared towards uh, running a highly effective sales team. So that really allowed me to, to develop the, the general framework that I really operate off of, of today, which has uh, been extremely helpful. And it's really the main reason um, why I'm in the position uh, that I'm in as a VP of sales. Did you say labs? They had like a sales labs. lab? What is, what is that? When I say that we had things down to a science, we would have 15 people testing one line of an intro versus another line of an intro wow. to see what would actually produce better results and get those reps on average further along in the call. It was, it was, it was wild stuff. So how big was that sales team? That sales force uh, was spread across five to six markets. It was about 600 salespeople, you know, somewhere between 60 to 70 managers running, you know, you know, 10 person teams, 10, 10 to 12 person teams. Okay. So just like, uh, just like startups, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what was your, um, how did you end up becoming a sales manager? Yeah, so I started at Yodel as, as a sales rep. I had a, a really healthy $20,000 base salary living in New York City, but it was a heavily, heavily based on, on commission and performance, obviously. And, you know, initially, I, I wasn't a good performer. I, I started out, I sucked. I was on a, on a performance improvement plan, which I, I don't tell many people, but I guess I'm telling everyone now. Um, <laughs> But I actually needed that because without that, I don't think I would have been the sales rep or manager or leader that I actually am today. But I got my stuff together after the first 30 days. I, I really started treating the sales process like a science. I, I did an extensive amount of homework. I would work all day, come home, listen to calls of top performers. And I took really my success in my own hands as much as I could. And that turned me into my first 60 days of mediocre performance and, and very stressful, by the way, living in New York City I'm on a 20K base salary mm -hmm. uh, to actually becoming one of the top performers at the company out of, out of 600 people by, by end of year. So really strong turnaround. And you know, as a top performer, what I ended up doing is I started you know, taking ownership in sort of a team lead position. Uh, so when we had new hires coming in, I, I would take one or two of them under my wing. I would give them call coaching on my own. I would hop on their calls and help them close deals because the reality is, you know, one manager doesn't have the bandwidth to do that for 12 people all day, every day. So I, I started providing, con you know, 
constant, consistent support to, to some of my younger peers, my last tenured peers. Turns out I really liked it. And, and that was really the, the uh, spark that made me realize that moving into a managerial position was actually for me. Thanks for sharing that you were on a, a pit, by the way. I don't think we talk about this in our industry very much. I also was on a pip early at one of my companies. ZocDoc had me on a pip my second week. Like that, that was, that was a ruthless org at the time, man. And the other guests that we've had on here were on pips in their first jobs before becoming leaders. I feel like, I don't know, not quite a trend, but, but anyone out there listening to this that, you know, just turn it around. It's not the end of the end of the world. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I look back at it. And also the, the manager who, who put me on that pip is a very good friend of mine. And, and it's the reason for a lot of my success. He said he did it on purpose because uh, he thought <laughs> I was too cocky coming out of the gate. And he was probably right. We, we joke about it probably every time we have a beer together. But, you know, the reason I was actually on a pip is I, I had never been exposed to an inside sales environment. And I knew I was going to sell, you know, this SaaS online marketing software at, at a cool, you know, a mid-stage company. Uh, that had a great culture. And then when I walked in and I saw a hundred salespeople in, you know, pretty much a call center and this kind of chaos, uh, reading off a script, I was like, I thought it was crazy. I thought I was above script reading when it came to trying to sell a product. And I honestly was a non-believer. You know, I thought I was better than that. I thought I was better than their process that seemed kind of cheesy. And I just didn't believe that that would work. And and that very quickly found me, you know, in the position of, of being on a plan. When I said I turn it around, I turned it around because I started, I started buying into the process and I forced myself to until the point where I actually started to get some wins. But yeah, belief, belief is, is the killer. If you don't believe that you're able to do something, you don't believe in something that you're doing, you know, you'll certainly find yourself down a dark path pretty quickly. Can you, can you tell us about that first, your first six months, say, as a manager? What are some mistakes that you made? Yeah, you know, everyone is different, meaning all of your reps are different. They have different personalities. They respond differently. And most importantly, they're not you. You know, one of the main mistakes that I made or one of the ones that, that stands out is, you know, I, I coached everyone on the team and treated everyone on the team the way that I used to like to be treated or coached, which was very direct and that certainly didn't work. And, you know, as a result, you know, some people take to it, but you're not bringing the team up as a whole and you really got to get to know your people. You know, one of the most crucial meetings that you have in any given week is a one-on-one -on -one, and they need to be consistent, they need to happen and they need to go below the surface. Uh, because if there's surface level conversations with the people that you're trying to manage, you're not going to really know how to speak to them. You're not going to know what makes them tick. And you're going to have a really tough time driving performance consistently over a long period of time. And you're likely, you know, going to lose a lot of people. When you say get below the surface, like, what does that mean? How does somebody do that? It's a good question. It starts with questions and not just, you know, generic close-ended questions, right? You know, a lot of it has to do with, with making a portion of, of these conversations just not necessarily about work. Work is, is one portion of their lives, but a lot of what, ha you know, someone's going through outside of work can certainly impact performance as well. So, yeah, you, you got to have 
those conversations, you need to have them over time. It's not going to happen in your first one-on-one. You know, it takes time to build trust. You need to, you need to be able to show people that you're going to consistently be there for them. And you got to actually genuinely care about them as a human being, you know, if you do want to have the ability to effectively get below their surface. So how would you have done that? How would you have done that differently? Like if you could go back in time and say, here's a, like, give yourself a couple tips, go, go do this as if you were coaching yourself. Like, well, what might that look like or something like? Yeah. You know, when it, when it comes to that sort of thing, my expectation is, or my expectation was that it would just happen overnight. And just like anything, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. So, you know, it's not that you can just go and have one conversation, get to know a little bit about, about another person. And all of a sudden, you know, they should be responding. It's, it's something that is conditioned in a relationship as you're, as you're getting to know them over an extended period of time. So the thing that, that is most important, and I mentioned this earlier, is consistency. And early on, I was inconsistent with the frequency of conversations I was having, which also probably hindered my ability to really build a strong bond with someone and also drive performance in the right direction as well, especially with some of those individuals where, where that bond or, or that connection wasn't natural, right? So on the topic of, of one-on-ones, I would suggest any manager, like don't push them off, don't reschedule them, take them seriously, come prepared, and that'll help you effectively, not just drive performance, but really get to know your people well. So every week, structured, not always about work, like that consistency and then just patience. Sounds like you're saying. Yeah. You know, they can be out every other week if you have to have them, but the, the important thing is that they're happening, they're consistent and they're well-prepared. Um, just logging into a zoom call and not having anything prepared or, or any talking points, you know, someone's not going to feel like they're growing or developing or, or taking really seriously. So I think preparation is, is probably the most important thing. And then consistency. So you're part of a big org and you got promoted. Did you end up managing anyone who had been a peer? I did several people for sure. This is probably, this is the question I get, I think the most. It's like, how do you go about managing somebody who is just your peer and maybe is still your friend? It's a good question. I think there's two things. First, when you're in that, individual contributor position, Mm -hmm. you should be carrying yourself as if you're in the next role. So I think that's one of the most important things. And that makes the transition much easier. Therefore, you don't have to have these really challenging relationships. You know, you're, you're playing a step ahead, you know, that, that comes with being a team lead, you know, being really, you know, engaged in meetings, bringing ideas to the table, et cetera. But when it comes to, you know, telling a friend or managing a friend that, that used to be a peer, I think it's important that right out of the gate, you actually draw a line in the sand and you don't avoid being their manager. That's actually a mistake that I've seen time and time again, where someone is managing someone on their team, but isn't managing them the way that they should, because they don't want to be uncomfortable giving that sort of information or giving feedback or critiquing the way they're doing things, you know, upfront, if you have a friend that you're working alongside of and you're going to be their manager, 
you need to have that conversation draw the line in the sand and just say, Hey, things are going to be differently. And I'm not going to manage you differently than I'm going to manage anyone else on the team. Did you have any conversations that were like, Hey, me at work is your boss and me outside of work, like we're friends or did you have to navigate through anything like that? When I say I, I drew the line in the sand, I might've been a little bit more harsh than, than a lot of people. I, okay. uh, the outside of the work stuff, it, yeah. if it was a work event, cool. But anything outside of that, I uh, didn't really never occurred anymore. So you know, I probably had some people that, that were work buddies that could have become longer term friends, but are now just friendly acquaintances because, you know, I was really adamant about, about drawing the line in the sand and, and stepping away from anything that could, could impact ultimately not just my performance, the team performance and, and company performance as well. It's a hard decision to make. I agree. But it's a good one though. It's like, it's a mature decision. It's hard as that is. Yeah. When I, when I went into Yodel, let's say, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't lose sight of the, the mission, which was growing my career. And that to me was, was paramount over, you know, the long-term relationship of a coworker, you know, these are new friends. Obviously I want to be friendly, but at the end of the day, if they can't handle, you know, being, being acquaintances and, or uh, just being friendly peers and, and that kills, you know, any sort of relationship, I think that's okay. If you do want to continue to move up, you got to do the right thing. You got to do the smart thing. And you got to be mature about it. Yeah. That's a great example of, of how to do that. So what was the hardest thing for you about transitioning from, from individual contributor to peer, or I'm sorry, to manager. Yeah. So pretty quickly you realize uh, you're in a position that you have to make some really difficult decisions. And, mm -hmm. and ultimately <laughs> in a lot of cases, especially some of these cutthroat companies, cutthroat sales organizations where it's like, you know, you got three months to perform or you're out of here. You're ultimately, you know, in charge of someone's livelihood and their success actually really much depends on your competency in the role and how effective you are. And you know, at the end of the day, you see so many salespeople fail. I, I'm pretty adamant. I'm a firm believer that, you know, if someone comes in and they have effort and they have a, you know, a certain element of grit, you can eventually become a strong performer, but you need a few things. Uh, you have to put in the work, you can't lose sight uh, of the end game. You can't lose belief. And you need a manager, a mentor at the very least that, that has your back and, and, and can guide you the right way. What, what's your superpower as a leader? You know, a lot of people that know me, if they, they heard this, they'd probably laugh and, and potentially not believe me. But uh, it's empathy. Okay. And, uh, you know... If you want to be effective, you want to keep people around, you got to be understanding. This is also, a, obviously, you know this, Derek, this is a really important trait of a really good sales professional. The best way you can close a deal is being empathetic. It's the only way you're going to get someone's guard down so you can actually figure out what's actually going on and, and, and shut it down and move the deal forward. But I think empathy is extremely important if you're in any sort of leadership position, if you want to be successful and if you want to keep people around. I think the best advice I was ever given the first day I officially started as a manager, my director of sales, his first bullet point on our, on our meeting agenda 
was assume best intentions. Mm-hmm. And those are words I live by. Those are words I echo to people around me all the time when something happens. And yeah, I, I think that is one of the most important pieces of advice that I've ever received as a manager was just to assume best intentions and, and you know, ultimately be empathetic. Can you think of any situations where like the assuming best intentions maybe sort of save the situation? It happens almost every day in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Oh, it actually happens. Okay. You know, think about ROE issues that crop up. You have, you have one AE furious at another AE because they think someone's stealing their leads or encroaching on their territory, right? And, and they're furious. They come to you, they're, they're pissed off. You assume good intentions, you cool them down, you investigate. All of a sudden, that's not the case. And you cool things down and those peers are connected and fine again, mm-hmm. right? That'd be one example. As a manager, you know, there's various other examples, you know, so-and-so has X, Y, and Z going on in their personal life. They missed three or four days and haven't been as effective, you know, as opposed to getting pissed off at them, just ask them how they're doing. What's going on? What happened? You know, as opposed to jumping to any sort of conclusion. So it's a, it's a thing that it, uh, I'll tell myself on a regular basis if, you know, if something, yeah, gets my blood boiling a little bit, you take a step back, you know, assume good intentions and, you know, People, you know, if you hire the right way, should have genuinely good intentions in the first place. Yeah. That reminds me of, I did a similar situation with, there's an AE who came to me and said, hey, this rep is, he was like, he's, did this thing for unknown reasons. That's what he said to me. This is by Slack. And I was like, unknown reasons? Did you just, did you ask him the reason? Well, no. Do you mind doing that before coming to me about it? Like, it's probably a perfectly good reason. Like he probably just doesn't know. That's funny. You just brought up the, the biggest one that comes up every day in today's world as we're all working remotely. Slack, you can misread messages in Slack yeah. and take them out of context so easily that I've had to cool down multiple situations because you don't understand where someone's coming from via Slack. You get a short message you can turn around and be like, you know, what the hell does that mean? Right. <laughs> it's like, there's no, there's no emotion behind what the other person's saying and they could be generally coming from a good place. So shoot. Yeah. Slack is, is one of those places where I would advise everyone to, to assume good intentions and, and <laughs> it's probably, someone's probably not out to get you there. It's dangerous. Anything sure. written, it just, it removes the tone. It removes, like, there's so much more information, like, embedded in tone and body language. This makes totally. it so easy. Yeah. All right. So what is something that our listeners could do today to uh, improve their chance of getting promoted to their first manager gig? Perform. Always perform. Okay. Now I, I joke, but you know, step one and getting promoted as being, you know, a strong performer, right? Yeah. But beyond that, it's not just perform, it's perform with quality. And, you know, it's really important, especially at early stage companies, you know, sales performance is great, but not doing so in a way that's aligned with the company's expectations, the process in place, 
and ensuring that you're setting proper expectations for your clients. That is everything. I'd rather sacrifice deals all day and, and lose out on, on some, some revenue if I know we're bringing in quality deals. And the reason is it's so important for the company from a branding perspective to ensure that there's a strong reputation there and it'll make or break you when it comes to you know, long-term success within the company. So it's not just performance, it's performing with quality. And then the other thing I would say is be engaged, being engaged with your team, sharing ideas, helping people around you. That is, that is really everything. Those are the traits and characteristics that any director or VP or CRO wants to see when they're thinking about who is that person uh, that I want to promote. You know, no one wants to just promote the, the lone wolf, you know, high performer that's, that's never engaging with anyone or, or really, you know, proactive in, in terms of how they might better the business. Right. Because you get promoted, you're in that role, and now your job is to help people. That's the first time you're helping somebody. Steep learning curve. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything that else that stands out to you when you're looking at somebody, you know, that you might be considering promoting? Yeah, it's really important to me that, you know, this person is now going to share, you know, let's, let's say if, I, if I'm stepping up and putting someone in under me, right? This person is now going to be my voice. Therefore, I want their actions to be very much aligned with my general strategy. Now they can make tweaks and, and have a different perspective and, and, you know, take their own stance on certain things. But generally speaking, I want their process, their framework on, on how they get stuff done and how they mold people to be rather aligned with, with how I think about things as well. So what I would say is, you know, get really close uh, with your manager, get really close with your director and make sure you understand and make sure you understand very clearly their general philosophy on how they want things done. Because without that, I'm never going to feel really warm and fuzzy about putting someone in a managerial role. Right. So this person is going to be an extension of you. So you've got to be able to trust how they're approaching the problem. Exactly. Cool. That's great. All right, man. That's everything I've got. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, sharing your experience and your wisdom with, uh, with my audience. Cool. There. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll probably like the Next Level Private Mastermind. It's a small group of newish sales leaders who are helping each other grow faster and become better. Each week, we cover a specific topic and troubleshoot actual issues new leaders run into. The link is in the show notes or go to DerekJankowski.com slash mastermind. Thanks.